everyone, and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. That's the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Rugby Reg, and we're coming to you via Eon Sports Radio or from our website, greenandgoldrugby.com, the home of all things rugby in Australia. Now, it's been a tough week for Wobby fans. It's been a tough season. And anyone who saw the post-match press conference would have seen Michael Checker, our coach, looks quite depressed. So we're looking for ways that we can cheer him up, if possible. Matt Rowley, welcome to the show. Uh, and what, how are we going to cheer up Check? Well, mate, I'd soften him up um, by letting him know he doesn't have to play England next year. Um, so that one's off the card. Uh, <laughs> But then the, the bombshell I'd drop is that the, um, the sex tape I've got between um, Eddie Jones and um, Hanson, um, Steve Hanson. So um, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been keeping it on the download. Not many people should see it or um, should ever want to see it, but I just figure, you know, it's going to take drastic measures to, check, to cheer check up. So I'm rec- I might pull it out of the bottom drawer now for that. <laughs> if that's going to cheer him up, I guess he needs it. Um <laughs> Hugh Cavill, how do we cheer up Czech? It's, it's that... Oh, hard. Take, it's, taking it's your mute off? <laughs> no, no, sorry. You, we, you just, just some technical issues, Reg, I think, there. Uh, I just lost you for a second. But, um, Matt, actually, on that point, Matt, about that tape, I was wondering why for our Facebook Live you had such an elaborate video set up um, <laughs> you, that you own. So uh, that is, sort of explains a few things. Oh, look, <laughs> I... I, I think the ultimate Christmas present for Czech, if someone can get it for him, is is just a just maybe a one a twenty four hour immunity from world rugby sanction. So you know we can, he can smash or you know we can give him one one thing a, a pass on anything. He can abuse a cameraman. He can smash a commentary uh, a coach's box window. He can fire off about a ref. Just give him an hour, you know, an hour where everyone else where everyone agrees to look the other way and he can go bananas. It's it's like that movie The Purge. He's just got twenty four hours and anything goes. <laughs> I like that. Exactly. Love it. Love it. Now it, I mentioned it's been a tough year for us for Australian rugby, and what's probably made it so much harder for us here in the Grinning Gold Rugby Show. It's this commitment we had to linking up with the Egg Chaser lads at the start of the season, and we've followed it through now, and would you believe we've followed it through once again. So joining us tonight is a very special guest, and uh, I say that all tongue-in-cheek. We, we're thrilled to have him on board, and we've enjoyed their, uh, the cohabitation this year, and it's Tim Cocker. How are you going, Tim? Very well. We've enjoyed it as well, and what honour you guys have got because I, I would have I, I would have imagined maybe there would have been some internet problem or technical hitch uh, <laughs> to have prevented me from coming on. But no, fair play, good on you. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Any thoughts on how we cheer up Czech now that you're uh, in the position to uh, understand Aussie coaches a little bit better? Yeah. By the way, I'm not looking the other way if Michael Checker has a 24-hour pass. I've got front row <laughs> seats and some popcorn. I would love to see that. Uh, but uh, I just think at times like this, you just need to just just have a couple of beers. And I think while he's in Europe, um, before he goes home, I don't know if they're already on the plane home or hopefully he had a, a good old bender with Kirtley Beale and James O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Those boys have got some form, and I reckon they'd have cheered him up. Uh, yeah, I think Czechs hang over in Europe a little while longer, so maybe it'll happen. Um, so just, guys, if there are any sort of interference on the line, um, I have had to pay quite a lot to get the SMARM and the gloat uh, wall, firewall, down between the UK and Australia. 
So we've only got it down. <laughs> we, we've only got it down for a little while. If if you suddenly get cut off, Tim, it's not us, mate. It's just the it's the it's the gloat wall um, that might have gone back. Do, do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what's been flying around in the UK so much in the rugby fraternity up here is that. That Fox Sports advert with Horan and Kafer and Kearns and co. Uh, Just keeps, with every win from England, it just gets that little bit sweeter. uh, Didn't they try to delete it off the system after that first test? (laughs) They did. Saved it, yeah. Yeah, we made sure we had it saved. Oh, God. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. All right, well, we're going to get stuck into it, guys. We've got five burning questions tonight, which I'll run over for you quickly now before uh, Tim helps us out with answering the first couple. So the first question is, what was the biggest factor in the result on the weekend? Question two, simply England, arse or class? Uh, Question three, does Australia have a discipline issue? Question four, what do we learn from this tour as a whole? In question five, we've had the state of origin concept being proposed for the June window next year to keep rugby in the public eye. What's the best option for the ARU to do here? And we're going to talk about some ideas we have on that one as well. So let's let's start it off. Tim, you're our guest, but you're going to have to sit back and wait and listen to this for a little while. Um, I'm going to start with you, Matt. Biggest factor in the result on the weekend, mate. Um, oh, I think everybody is waiting for me to just wade in on Yako Piper, aren't they? Um, but I can't. I, I, I can't say that, actually. Um, look, it's, it's going to be a theme that's going to run throughout. Um, I think the, the biggest thing here is it, it was the Wallabies themselves. Um, I think they, they came out in those first 20 minutes. They showed um, what they could do. Um, and, then I th- and then I thought, you know, yeah, it, it kind of, I think, what did they get to, like, 10 points um, or so? But when they missed those, was it two or three tries held up I think they were starting to think yep. um, this isn't going to be our night and then or the, our afternoon maybe and then they just had that I, I, it's kind of punctuated throughout this this whole series this year um, they just had that you know calamity um, you know stuff up uh, between Phipps and, and Kepu um, leading to the most you know to yet another peach of a you know kick through bounce up perfectly into your hands under the posts um, is it Jonathan Joseph who keeps doing it? Um, yep. Uh, you know, and I think that was it. I think they just looked at each other. And I must admit, I had mentally pictured that sort of thing happening um, as well, you know. And it seems to be something that uh, this team is kind of prone to at the moment, um, of those just those mishaps, whether it comes from a ref or whether it comes from the other team, largely caused by ourselves. Um, and I'll maybe go into some stats about that later. Um, but I, I thought it was that. I thought, um, you know... Australia came out, just looked absolutely 10 out of 10. Probably some, I think some of the stuff we'd seen there is some of the best attack in the world this year um, in, in structured play. But, you know, then just kind of, I think they mentally dissolved um, when, you know, those things just didn't go their way. And then you, you had that, you know, kick in the nuts and try under the post. Yeah, fair call. Tim, I'm interesting to just sort of know your, your interpretation of two things. You know, did England start slow? What... Uh, you know, what was the reason for that slow start? But then what turned it around? What, what um, you know, what got England back in that game? I've got to tell you, I thought the game was done at 20 minutes. Me I thought too. Yep. This, is, uh, this is a horror show from England. And I think one of the key elements there was, um, unlike in some of the tests in June when England managed to nullify Pooper, they really got to George Ford and really put him under pressure. And there was no fluency from England's game. Uh, Australia just started 100 miles an hour. It looked so good. But so, but if, I, if I'm going to take it from the positive from England's point of view, I think the key factor 
biggest factor in the result was the mental fortitude that England now have because with that 20 minutes there was cool heads and the way that they turned it around and actually you know it it, it was a level of streetwise performance from England like for example I think you, you Matt picked up on the the Phipps Kepu mess up that that led to one of the tries that an experience uh, Ben Youngs who I've got to say fair play boys back in June we we, we were all saying you really you fear Ben Youngs um I don't know what it is against Australia and recently he's uh, he's a different he's just incredible but he would have he would have managed to have won a penalty from Mako Vanapola who was just lazily getting up off the deck but Phipps tried to run around him a bit too nice and ended up bodging up the pass. So I, I think that the, there's a real steeliness about about Eddie Jones and about this England team. And I think one one England guy that embodies that, he's not totally fit, but I think Owen Farrell is so important on both sides of the game and just in general. I think he's actually the, the true leader of that team for my money. Yeah, really, that's that's a, that's a huge one because, you know, he, he doesn't have the dominant... He keeps England in there. I see that, and he keeps the game going and all that sort of stuff to be that true leader. Here's an interesting one for you that I just picked up. So, you know, Stefan Navali scores first. Looks fantastic. You know, we got 7-0, kick by Foley, 10-0. Farrell, the man, kick gets us back in, 10-3, 10-6. 29th minute, Jonathan Joseph scores his try. So remember that, 29th minute, Jonathan Joseph scores a try from a loose ball. Let's go back to June, what was it, June 11th, June 10th. Suncorp Stadium. Hooper scores early. Falau scores early. 10-0 to the Aussies. Farrell score, kicks a penalty, gets another penalty, gets another penalty at the 32nd minute mark. So 29th minute this weekend, 39th minute, the uh, 32nd minute start of the year. Jonathan Joseph scores a try from another loose ball. Phipps pass to, uh, I think, Karevi that time uh, instead of Kepu and Jonathan Joseph scores a try. Those two moments are my turning points for those respective matches. It, it, it just—it's like you said, Matt. It's when those heads started to drop, and I think the English realised that they could get back into this one. And it was Groundhog Day, uh, wasn't it? I mean, I just—I just couldn't believe it. I was just watching. It, I'm, you know, that you broke it down to that detail, Reg, is great because it just felt to me. I had that Grace Jones song going in my head. Uh, was it strange? I've seen this face before. Um, and I, <laughs> if it was strange, I've seen this game before. Um, and I—and we had. Um, it was just—it was uncanny. It was. Hugh, what about you, mate? What's your reading on all this? Uh, well, it's funny that you, you talk about, um, you know, us letting England into the game. I think we probably sell England a little bit short. And you look at Jonathan Joseph there. I mean, he scores that try in, in, in Suncorp. He scores the try uh, at Twickenham. That, and, he, and he takes that intercept from David Pocock. I mean, the guy has a knack for this. You know, it's not just – he doesn't just bob up, you know, out of nothing and, and uh, have these things handed to him. There's an obvious skill level that he has to put himself in these positions to take advantage of errors. Um, and Australia did make, you know, we as we have every game, a couple of key errors that let an opposition score a try. And that's what's been killing us. And, and we don't – and England are a good enough team not to give us the flip side. They didn't give us, you know – arguably they probably gave us one uh, tight head scrum in, in the fifth or sixth minute. But other than that, they really don't give you anything. And so the, the, the little shred of possession that you have and the few opportunities that you have, you've got to bank them. You've got to score those tries. And, you know, as much as we came away with points, most times we went into the England 22 in the first, those first 30 minutes, you felt like when Falau got held, Falau knocked that ball on, 
when Kundrani got held up, when Kepu got held up, it just felt like we needed to, to, to score those tries. And instead of being 10-0, it's, it's 14-0. It's 17-0. And all of a sudden, that's, that's when the game starts to become... It you know, starts to get away from England, and that's where we can really gain that confidence that we've been lacking. Uh, so I, I think you've just got to give full credit you know, to England. Uh, four games we've played against them, it's, it's, you know, you've got to admit it, they're just a better team. They're just a better team than us. And it, it came through in that second half where that mental fortitude that, that Tim spoke about just kicked in. They had confidence in everything they did. They trusted their systems. They got into the game, and, and, and they, they took advantage of every single opportunity that we gave them. So <sighs> depressing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, that that was a factor. But just, yeah. it, I think, yeah, Matt says it's the Wallabies. I'll say it's England. No, you, I'm, you, I'm not. I'm not taking all that graciousness, Hugh. Well, you can do that. I'm gonna. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go with that. So, you, so basically, saying Jonathan Joseph is like the error whisperer. So he kind of, you know, yeah. he, he kind of whispers into Phipps' ear, gets inside his head, makes him make the error. I think Jonathan Joseph looks like that annoying kid that used to play with the under-10s. He was always some winger. He was always kicking the ball through <laughs> and just using his raw pace to burn the rest of us off. You know, to be fair, can I just congratulate you? Sorry, guys. I just got to congratulate you. We're, we're, I think we've gone through 10 minutes of this podcast and you haven't mentioned a TMO a knock on a forward pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming. Don't worry. That's the, we just wait till you leave. We just wait yeah. till you leave, Tim, and that's when we. We, we don't want anyone holding us back on that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Reg? What do you reckon, mate? From, from oh, the... mate, I, I can't. I think it's already almost been summed up there, and I'll get to a second point. Almost been summed up there already. I can't believe. I mean, there was times I was watching that first half an hour. And I, you know, there was no way we were going to lose that game. And in fact, I thought we would run away with it. Um, as you said earlier, the, the clinical nature of our attack early, uh, Naivalu just looks superb. You know, he, any time that we found space regularly, he showed his speed, that great finish of his own. Um, but as we have all year, we've struggled to, to, to finish, haven't we? And we're in position so often. Um, and you, you say we got held up and the disallowed Corandrani try from the, the Pocock tackle and so on, but we just don't have that ability to finish. And whatever England did, the, the difference between that Australia first half hour and Australia in the second half w- was just monumental. And, and to England's complete credit, they just ramped it up big time. But what I was going to say, what impresses me, oh, maybe this is getting to the second question. Mm. Maybe I'll hold off on that point for the time being because it, it's probably relevant to that. But um, it, it's just, I don't know what happened. You know, normally Checker, I would have thought, is the type of guy. I've never sat in one of his halftime conversations, obviously. But I would have thought he would be the one that would get them spurred up, get them ready for that second half again because that second half was pretty insipid and England controlled it from the kickoff and, and that's when Young's really stood up. His sort of box kicking and his, his, uh, his guiding that team around was just superb. Yeah, so, he, yeah. he, he was brilliant. But yeah, I think that takes us in the second one, mate. Yeah, so the second question is England, arsehole class. And Tim, I'll, you know, this one I will throw straight to you, mate. Stand up for your team. 14 wins, unbeaten in a calendar year, I think speaks for itself. There will be people that will say, oh, well, you, you've not played New Zealand, but 
we have played Australia four times, three of those in Australia, of course. So, uh, but uh, you, do you know what? I, I am feeling very good as an England rugby fan, but I also think we need to throw congratulations at Australia because your record breakers this year as well. Well done. <laughs> I heard this. I heard this. All right, break it for us, mate. What was it? The most defeats of any international team in a calendar year. Ever. This, ever. By anyone, apparently. Nine. Holy hell. And... And the most points conceded by an international team in a calendar year. Wow. So, look, Congratulations, guys. I don't think the sex tape's going to do it anymore. I, don't... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise it can was I, Can I also... Let me stick up, for, let me stick up for, for, for quickly on this one. Because I also think we also have another record, which is the hardest schedule faced by any team ever. The longest yeah. and hardest schedule. 15 games, no gimmies, seven against the best, you know, the best two teams in the world. Um, and then, you know, another five away in the Northern Hemisphere to, uh, to, to pretty good Northern Hemisphere sides. There's no, there's no Fijis in there. There's no Samoas. We don't get a, a gimme against Italy or, or Fiji at, at Twickenham, you know, which we'd all love to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's, yeah. that's my that's my. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I had that little stat up my sleeve in case you guys got too salty about losing, but you haven't, and now I just feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, yeah now you look like a bad winner, mate. <laughs> uh, but I th- So I, I will 100% defend England as, as having class. What they have is incredible strength in depth in positions now. Again, Maruitoji wasn't there, and... Courtney Laws plays incredibly well. Joe Launchbury played incredibly well in previous tests. He wasn't even available because of his suspension. Jonathan Joseph probably wouldn't have been starting if everybody was fit. And look at the game he had. Who knows what we're going to be able to going to actually select as our centres when Manu Tuolangi is back. Um, Henry Slade was on the bench and he's a, an absolutely amazing talent. Marlon Yard was brought in because of his defensive skill. Crikey, he looked like he really? never played rugby before in that first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I think this is an absolutely amazing crop of players. And some of them are just moving into the, the area where you can start to talk about them in, in the world-class bracket. Owen Farrell being one, Billy Vanapola being another. And I think there's a Mako Vanapola potentially a couple of years from now and a, and a few others. So I, I think that there's still evolution to happen and there's some really exciting players to come into this team over the next few years. Uh, I think 100% England is class. Well, and this is my point, and it goes along the lines. You mentioned depth. And the sign of a good team for me is when they can bring in players and those players stand up. Tom Wood, Nathan Hughes, two in particular, I thought, in this game were fantastic. Put aside Wood, Wood's swimming effort up the side of that mall there. But yeah. those two guys were fantastic. Oh, and that's how he picked up the ball offside in a ruck and ran. Yeah, yeah, and ran straight through. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit. Um, but he got away with it. But Marlon Yard's another one who I don't rate as a player. He always looks dodgy no. ass. But in the two games he's played for Australia, he's pulled out massive plays um, that have been significant towards the game. And, and, and that's what you're looking for on your team. I, you know, the depth, and say you should with the players' numbers and the resources and all that sort of stuff, but the quality of those players, that team in its own, but the depth that's coming through too is just sensational. I'm blown away from it. A question before to you, Tim. I was on one of your digital sports channels early this morning, your time over there, and they finished by asking me the question, this English team and what they've achieved this year versus the 2003 World Cup winners. Who's better? Oh, there's there's no question the 03 team are 
way better. They had when you actually look back at that O three team, they had uh, they had true world class players, the best in their position in about yeah. six or seven positions on the field, key yeah. positions as well. So there's no way you can't compare the two yet. This one swallow doesn't make a summer, and you, you you don't just go a calendar year unbeaten and start declaring yourself the best in the world. I mean, you just have to look at New Zealand. It's a decade of consistency that that gets you to that level and it was it was a year like this that england built upon to to lead up to 2003 in in sydney and that and and the world cup win so it's it's what you do now that that defines you as a team so we're not getting ahead of ourselves don't worry good stuff same answer all right hugh what about you mate Uh, it feels odd you know us having to sit here with tim and and blow smoke up his ass but it, it seems fairly legit yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it? I mean, and, the, and they are classes, as I said before. Um, it's just, oh, that Nathan Hughes sums it up. You know, the, the really good teams in the All Blacks in their prime, which they probably still are, have this ability to pull these inexperienced. In, in I remember buddy Stephen Luatua did it to us a few years ago, and every year there's someone, Anton Lindner-Brown, someone comes out of nowhere, debutant, you think, oh, we've got a shot at this bloke. You know, he's, he'll be a liability. And they come out and play like a 100-test veteran. And Hughes, by the end of the game, was running with seven blokes hanging off him. And you go, where's this bloke come from? You know, what's, he does, he's got no right to be doing that. And Fiji because... is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we can't really talk um, after talking up seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, look, at the, just that ability, you know, and that depth, as Tim talked about, you know, especially in the second row where we can't find a second row to save ourselves, where England have probably got six or seven, you know, properly good second rowers. And, and yeah, and, and buddy Ben Young's lobbing up those box kicks just inch perfect on the spot. And, we you know, even Falau was struggling with them. And that, I think that's about as high a praise as you can have on a, on a box kick. It, it just, it's it's um, so ruthless and so clinical. And it was typified in that last sort of 10-minute stretch where we were just trying to run the ball out of our 22. And even against a fairly tight England defence, we were just getting driven back and back and back and, Pretty demoralising sight for, for for an Australian rugby fan. So, um, oh God, let's let's just um, yeah. It is, there's not there's not much I could say. It's just yeah. been one of those years. Your last let's... three or four contributions, Hugh, have all finished with just a big sigh. Yeah. <laughs> Hugh, yeah. someone take Hugh's shoelaces off him. <laughs> He's already in the cell. We can't. <laughs> we don't hold the ashes. I mean, we can. Well, I, I'm trying to think of a, a recent. Oh, sporting God. success over re- sevens. I mean, I think the sevens. We the women's sevens. Can we talk about that still? I think I've been yeah. holding on to that for about yeah. seven months now. So yes, finally. <laughs> yeah. um, well, look. Let, let me come out swinging then. Yeah, uh, come on, Matt. You guys are just going to roll over and tickle their tummies. No, look. Um, first of all, look. I thought, yeah, England. And actually, I was listening to your guys' podcast, Tim. Um, was it just today? I think. I think even you guys, when you went through that game. Um, and Phil, who's obviously the most balanced rugby pundit any of us know, um, basically went through the litany of calls and events that broke your way. Um, yeah. And it was, and then it was like, <laughs> so you guys went through that. And went, oh yeah. And there was that penalty, and there was that forward pass, and there was that thing he missed, and da 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 da. And um, oh yeah, but yeah, and but then we played so well. And so, look, I think it was both. I think you did play really, really well. And I, but Australia, if you look over those four, te- those four tests, 
it's the same thing that keeps happening. And so I, I can't just feel that, like, I don't think there's some massive ref conspiracy. Um, Yako Piper is a hometown ref. He always has been. I mean, the, the cognitive dissonance when he watches that pass go forward, sticks his oh. hand out, is about to call it, and then goes, obviously something in his head goes, oh, no, I just won't. Um, because his, 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 his natural thing was, oh, that's clearly a forward pass like everyone else in the stadium saw, but then didn't call it. But, you know, the, the reason why Phipps didn't milk the penalties, we, I think he thought he had it. I mean, he had Vunapola literally sat up in his way. Yeah. I mean, it was the most yeah. ridiculous thing. The Tom Wood swimming down the side, that was the very definition of swimming yeah. down the side of a ruck. I mean, all those things. But at the end of the day, um, I take this up a level. So I think, yeah, you got a few bounces your way in the, in the, in the match, but... I think um, are England world class? Yes, I think they are. But the one thing I want to temper back is in what style of team they are. And this comes back to, for example, when we have these conversations with you guys and you say, uh, people are saying, oh, yes, um, for example, Farrell is a, or, 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 the, um, or the guy who played on, sat on the weekend, whose name I'm just blanking on for a second, who played 10 for you. Just George Ford, Ford. Yeah, George Ford. Ford. You know, you know, they're great tens. They're not in Australia, in a, in a Southern Hemisphere idea of ten. Um, you know, they control a game like an English ten might. Um, you know, you know, largely through kicking, maybe through some good defence. I understand Ford apparently at club level has shown a bit more. I still haven't seen it at international level, and I haven't seen it from Farrell either. But they do what's great, and I think what Eddie has done, and I think again, you guys had this other conversation of, well, why is it that Eddie's managed to get this out of these players? I can tell you exactly why it is, is because Eddie Jones knows exactly what he feared the most from an England team. Um, and he put that together with knowing how to coach or at least consult towards an, a Springbok team that won a World Cup. He put those two things together, and that's the team you're looking at. I actually think it's quite limited in a number of ways, but what it's good at, and you saw it on the weekend. I mean, how the hell did they turn that match around? And I can tell you what it was. It was Young's boot, a good chase, um, and basically put, and some good defense and putting the pressure back on. I saw Almost nothing else to make me think that this team has a whole lot more. But don't get me wrong. You get those things right, and you'll probably beat eight out of ten international teams. Um, and I think that's what we saw. It'll put pressure on. It'll cause mistakes. And we know this Australian team is fragile at the moment, um, and, and, and they'll crumble underneath it. So, look, I guess in a way, I'm giving you a roundabout compliment, is yes, I do think they're class. I just think we probably need to temper it just a little bit in that, you know, and what I... From the little I know of what's coming through on the bench, I don't see anyone who then blows my mind in terms of, wow, that's going to really suddenly turn England into this, um, you know, expansive, um, you know, phase play attacking team. Not that they necessarily want to be. I don't think Eddie wants to take them there. And I think he's been quite candid in that he thinks the players are quite limited. He said it to all the journal, any journal who will listen. I think these, these guys are limited. But what he does know is that he can use what you guys do really well to, to be beat the crap out of us at the moment. He called it rope-a-dope, and that's exactly what it was. So, anyway, that's... I've got, I've got well, I, I, would just, I would just counter that slightly by saying I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, Anthony Watson, I do think, is one of the, could be potentially one of the best finishers in world rugby on the wing, so I, I, would, I would definitely watch out for him coming back. But New Zealand, they kick more than any other international team and have done, and there's nothing... There's nothing limited about playing rugby in the right part of the field. And I think that, I mean, particularly in the second half, when you were only, uh, because of the missed kick, you were nine points down and you were still trying to run from inside your 22 with 63 minutes on the clock. I was scratching my head going, what are they doing? They're, gonna, they're expending so much energy in the wrong area of the field. So yeah. I just think there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of 
quite a, a bit of a rugby intellect about this England team. They're, they're quite smart in, in the things that they do. And that's very much like New Zealand. But I think what you're saying, actually, and what you gave a great example of there is, but, and they're playing against, and Jones has said it since, since before he landed in Australia, we're going to play rope-a-dope. Because the intellect that England's showing, which I don't think it's actually brain surgery, right? Play in the right end no. of the field, um, is exactly what the Wallabies don't have. And I think we're watching right now an experiment um, that Checker is had a, you know, the worst year in international rugby history as the result of, which is can you play running rugby with no plan B at all times? And he even had great weather throughout the whole mm. thing. So it wasn't like we had, you know, pissing down rain and whatever else to kind of, you know, it was, and, and actually injury-wise, we didn't do too badly. So, you know, I think it's been an incredible experiment in kind of rugby philosophies and we've come out really badly on the wrong end. Well, what better time to have an experiment than three years out from a World Cup? It's not like we're, you've got it months away. Mm. This is why I, I will still know that Australia, come 2019, are going to be... And a major, major threat and a proper contender. So I don't read too much into this year. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Tim. We're going to leave you there. We know you've got a busy day ahead of you over there. Really appreciate yours and, and JB's and the team's uh, involvement with us this year. Uh, congratulations Likewise. to all the English crew. Obviously, the Egg Chaser podcast is out there, guys. They're on Twitter at, at Rugby Podcast. Um, I'm sure all our listeners are listening already. But uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks for joining us again. And we uh, best luck with the, the Six Nations all when it kicks off. And we'll try and catch up again soon, hey? Definitely. Pleasure, gents. Good stuff. Thanks, Tim Cocker there from the Egg Chasers, lads. Uh, we're going to keep delving into a couple more questions about this game and about this tour. Uh, next one for Hugh. Discipline's been a, a topic of discussion. Is it a big issue for Australian rugby at the moment? I don't know, Reg. I don't know. I think if you'd asked me this a couple of months ago, I would have said yes, but I don't think a discipline was too bad against England. Um, and I don't think it was too bad against you know Ireland. I don't think it was too bad. Like, we're not giving away the same level of stupid penalties as we once did, I think. Um, and you look at the penalties we gave away in that England game, I, None of them, I think, were particularly egregious. Um, and look, now Tim's off. I can probably get stuck into Yako Piper. He had a bloody shocker, an absolute <laughs> yeah. shocker, you know. And, and it was just, he was only refereeing one side at the ruck, you know. He was only looking at the Wallabies. And England got away with everything. And as soon as, you know, who got done for going off their feet? We did. Who got done from in from the side? We did. You know, and England, England would do exactly the same thing and just not get done for it. I thought, I thought it, was, it was shambolic. But, uh, you know, we do give away, on average, if we do have a discipline problem, I think we're just prone to one or two oh, brain-snappy moments every so often. And Dane Hallett Petty, I don't know. Look, I think he's pretty unlucky. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, you know, what's he doing? Yep. Um, and it's a bit, you know, Dean Marm the week before. It, it just We have given away a lot of yellow cards this year. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how, other than just saying, hey, don't, hit people off the ball, you know, that's something you train for. I'm not sure what the solution is. And I think Stephen Moore's ref management has got better. Um, you know, I think we're, we're doing as much as we can. Right. And, and if we play guys like David Pocock and, and Michael Hooper and guys that really like to put heat on at the breakdown, then I suppose we're going to probably open ourselves up to, to being penalised at the ruck a bit more. But... Um, yeah, well, I think Stephen. Yeah, Moore, I, I think know. Stephen Moore's got better because he's just stopped talking to the ref. Yeah, <laughs> I think yep. that's yeah, yeah. Well, but can we talk about that Dane Hallett Petty incident as well? Which is that mm. that was 
actually, if you watch a replay of it, and yeah, he was put it. You put it in slow mo. He was clearly late. But I mean, come on, you know, draw, draw and pass. That happens. You know, how many times a game? Um, yep. All he's done is stand his ground. I mean, yep. it's. Oh, but the two things I thought were terrible out of that incident, though, didn't weren't great for rugby. Mike Brown's milking of it. Massive drive. I mean, yep. I mean, that guy has put himself. I'm, I've actually got a bit of a mental list of knobs in world rugby going at the moment. He's quite close to the top. You saw him every time Marlon Yard did anything, he had to get himself in the camera shot, Mike Brown. Um, <laughs> and then the other one, and then Dane Coles um, is the other probably premier knobs in uh, international rugby going around at the moment. So he's milking of it. But then the second thing we had, which is another modern phenomenon, is basically the um, TV producer at the Absolutely. ground milking, uh, milking the penalty. So here's the thing, though. Brown knew it, right? If Brown stays down and rolls around like, yep. a, like an actress, he knows that they're going to wind back and have a look. They wind back and have a look, play it five times on the ground. Yakko, home ref, Piper, you know, obviously he's going to jump on top of that. So I thought it was a pretty... Pretty poor incident all round, really, um, for rugby. And I thought, you know, there was nothing in it. Maybe a penalty. I, I mean, I would have gone for a penalty on that. But yellow card is just beggar's belief, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Piper, I just he's got some sort of strange thing going on in his head. Um, he, he's made some really weird, de- other really weird decisions as well um, throughout. I just, just still don't know. How, I mean, how's he still at the top? Who knows? He just doesn't get like the. I, I find him really hard to watch. I really don't like it. He has no flow. He's got no style. I don't know. Like, he, uh, there's something about him that really puts me off. And and uh, I don't know. It's it's really hard to hard to put my finger on it. But um, yeah. He he just every every game he's prone to making just just horrible decisions. You know. And, and it, so it was again on 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 the weekend. Mm. So the, the discipline thing is interesting, and you have to put a, put aside that Ireland game because you know that's that's Ireland now. They've got they've found the magic cure for for ill discipline. They're not giving away penalties. I don't know how they do it, but it's, but it's happening. Are we any worse than anyone else, Matt? Or is it just about the same? Obviously, we've got the yellow card issue. They've got to overcome. Are refs watching us a little bit more closely, or um, being a bit harsh on us? Or is it just? We're the same as anyone else. Um, well, look, yeah. So just from the latest tour, I think we got four yellow cards, um, and obviously we played that extra match though. Um, and that's even without, and that's even without quite on the field. Yeah, mate, yeah. Can yeah. You imagine if he'd been out there. But look, you know, I was looking at, I, I actually summarised all the stats from our four games against England this year because I thought that was a pretty good level playing field. Um, we conceded eleven penalties um, on average per game. They conceded eight. Um, yep, okay. so, so there's a three penalty difference there. Yep. Um, that in itself doesn't feel like it should be a you know a massive thing. Out of the four games, we had one yellow card um, versus their zero. Um, so you look, you know, in the scheme of things, I, I didn't think that you know in, in in this series with us with them anyway. But you know, those yellow cards are a bit of a worry, and I think we gave away, yep. we gave, we popped a few of them during the. Um, you know, rugby championship as well, didn't we? Um, yeah, we did. You know, and, and, and you know, crueled us at, at times. And so, I don't know, this all seems to be part of the checker experiment, though, <laughs> as far as trying to make the, trying to make it hard for yourself. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, our next burning question is, uh, all right, looking at the tour of the how, what's our big learning from this? You, what's your big learning from this tour from a Wallaby perspective, I guess? Uh, there's a few. There's a few, I think. Um, there's some positions we have the answer for, and I think there's some we don't. I'll, I'll give you a couple of top-line ones, and you can agree or disagree. First one, Dane Hale at Petty is a world-class winger. Mm. Um, 
Sefa Naivalu is also a top-class winger. Um, Reese Hodge, I am not sold on. I think uh, I am as big a Reese Hodge fan as, as anyone, but I think um, we might see Carl Godwin make a real push for that 12 jersey um, by the end of Super Rugby. Um, Can I just interrupt one quick thing about Reese Hodge? I agree with yep. you and been super impressive. What we've got to remember about Reese Hodge is this time 12 months ago, yeah. he was still an amateur rugby player. Yeah, you know, so yep, he had come point. from club rugby, played you know good NRC, and then signed by the Rebels. He hasn't had you know the seasons upon seasons of of elite strength and conditioning and skills and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, I know what you're saying about this year, but let's uh, let's see how he develops uh, another year of Super Rugby. Um, uh, okay, good. And going through the pa- Lepetti Tamani, um, yeah, I think I think he's got what it takes, and he's he's been good. Um, and I'll uh, I'll also. Uh, Give a bit of a shout-out to Sakopi Kepu, who I think has rediscovered some form. But broadly speaking, Reg, um, and, uh, correct, uh, I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but looking back on all of our games this year, and we played 15 of them, can you remember a year of Wallaby rugby and putting aside the results, which have been, you know, as we've discussed, historically horrible? Have you, can you remember a, a year of Wallaby rugby with so many good games? Or putting it differently, with so few games where you just tell your friends not to watch you know i think we've had i reckon we've had one this year and that was the game against the springboks in south africa yep, which is always and, uh, which is always dour but uh, you know 14 of the 15 have been really good games to watch and i think this wallaby team has you know they score tries they play an open style of rugby and, and they are a good team to watch and so you know i remember previous years where we've had you have those games against argentina on the gold coast which are dour as hell and end up 13-11 or a couple of games, you know, it's, uh, games in the... Whatever it is where we just come down to the level of the opposition and it's just a stinker. You know, we haven't had any of them. And I think it's helped Checker. I think one of the reasons why there isn't a huge amount of heat on him, um, especially from the wider sporting public, is the highlights to the tour. There's, we're scoring good tries. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're um, sort of putting some good rugby on the field. We're just getting getting burned by the opposition. I, I, I think it's, it's a factor. So I'll, I'll give... My positive for the, for the tour and for the year is I think the Wallabies are playing some some pretty attractive rugby. Uh, Matt, I'll go to you, I guess. But does that Hugh, I guess, put Nathan Gray under pressure? I mean, he's our defence coach. Oh, mate, look, you know, actually, yeah, there's there's an absolutely shocking stat out there um, that I'll pull out. That um, was it, Fox Sports stat. Um, uh, was it Fox Sports Lab put out here? Tries conceded in 2016. Okay, so this is a total. Um, New, New Zealand, 18. France, 19. Scotland, 20. England, 24. Ireland, 29. South Africa, 35. Wales, 39. Argentina, 43. Australia, 45. Jesus, okay. Uh, New Zealand conceded 18. Um, you know, Scotland conceded 20. We conceded 45 tries. So it's... Now I know there's an extra game in there, probably over and above New Zealand. Um, did, they, did we play many more games than, than them otherwise? Well, I don't know what they played. So we played 15. So that's three tries a match. Yeah. Um, so you know that's going to be really, really hard um, to. I mean, look, I, I think our attack has got to the point. I don't think anyone else is the same has as good a structured attack as us at the moment. Um, yep. I think, as Tim was saying, the All Blacks don't really play a structured attack. You know, they wait. Um, for, for turnover ball, 
um, at, you know, or kick return, um, which is smart. They're the, they're the best in the world at it. Um, I think Czech has obviously realised for whatever reason that's not going to be our go. Um, he's put together. I mean, I think we showed those first twenty minutes. We've 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 had twenty minute spells against the All Blacks where they just basically couldn't hold on to us. Um, so look, where I've got to on that one is. Like I was saying earlier on, it's it's almost like an experiment that's set up, which is to say, can that style of running rugby with not a lot of smarts to it, so there's almost no field, um, you know, no positional kicking, um, but, you know, mm. at, at all, can that survive at an international level? I think the answer we well and truly know at the moment is that. Well, and here's the other thing, you know, you throw in 13 debutants, I think, well, um, over this year. Mate, uh, 13, yeah. Um, so you throw that in as well, and you and, and so you know, and it's you know, so it's a rebuild year and all those other things. Um, but you know, it, what what we definitely showed was that the top two teams in the world can take that apart any day of the week. Um, you know, England, to be honest, ate it up, um, and the All Blacks, you know, found it even easier. Uh, which is to say, God, if these guys are just going to try and run it at us from their own half the whole time, this is going to make things easy, and it and it did. Um, what will be really interesting to see is, you know, uh, you know, can we turn that around? Can you take that to the next level? Um, I, I'm not, what, you know, what you'd hope to say is, well, maybe what we'll do is add some more smarts on top of it, and we'll learn to play a bit of territory when we need to. I'm not sure that Checker has that in mind. I, to me, <clears throat> I, I get the feeling he's going to come back and say we just need to try and score more tries and hold on to a few more balls and 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 see how that works. And if that's the case, I don't know. There could well be more heartache. I say that though, and I went and watched the Waratahs win the Super Rugby final, playing yep. very, yep. very similar stuff. Well, and 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 we sit here at the end of a tour where we could have won every game if we took our opportunities. You know, it's uh, obviously we needed to defend better and play smarter, and that's I uh, don't disagree with you, Matt. But at the same time, it, it wasn't like this structure didn't create enough chances to score tries, and if last passes had stuck and a few, you know, one or two little errors hadn't been made, then we're four, we're, we're at least four out of five, and, and potentially five out of five. Well, the only thing is that, you know, I think if the four losses to England show anything is that if you try and do that the way that we did it over those four matches, you'll get the same result every time. Yeah. And you'll be yeah. left scratching your head wondering, oh, why is it that they can fly hack through a, a loose pass in our own half and, and score under the posts all the time? Well, that's because you can do that when you're making those mistakes in your own half. Um, you know, and, and why is it that England with no real running attack um, could end up winning? What did they win by? Was it 17 points? Um, you, you know, sixty, yeah. You know, I think. Um, you know, and 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 basically slaughters. Was it the biggest loss to England or something? Um, so uh, I don't. Second think. biggest, yeah. yeah. So no, I I do see what you're saying, Hugh. Which is, I think the attack, like I say, has been some of the best we've seen in the world, but it's managed to get us to the worst international season in history. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Look, my, um, I want to see variability in our game plan. I, I haven't seen that for a while, and that's a bit of my concern. We're getting close to the end, and I want to get on the next question. But uh, my, from that takeaway, I've got concerns over our locking position. Um, yeah, Coleman and Arnold, I think, are fantastic, but they didn't play that last game. Simo's workhorse, Douglas, was somewhat effective, but below Coleman and Arnold, who we saw so many good things from, I've got concerns there. There are some young guys coming through, Staniforth, Luke and Tui. We'll see how they go. Uh, and halfback, mate, I, you know... Like I said, I'm against the Giddo clause. So I don't want. I don't think Giddo Genia should be coming back. And and I thought Phipps was pretty average. And I don't think Frisbee's up to it. So I got massive concerns over halfback too. So, um, 
you know, we'll see how that pays out. I think we've got um, to go out and find another 10, right? I, I, you know, you, we, we, need an, yep. we need an understudy, somebody who's got that other side to their game. By the way, I thought Foley's running game and part distribution game is better than it's ever been, but we're still missing that other side to a, a fly house map. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. He, he doesn't control the game is my issue with him. All right, question five. Look, this has caused a lot of ruction around the place. A state of origin has been proposed between, uh, obviously, New South Wales and Queensland in this June test window next year when uh, the quality of opposition might not be there. So to try and you know keep rugby interesting in that period um, obviously wouldn't involve Wallabies. I guess my question to you guys, uh, Hugh, and I'll go to you again, is what do you think the R should do, ARU should do here? Do you like the origin concept? Do you think there's a better idea? What, what should we be doing? Um, I like the concept as something to talk about um, in a traditionally quiet time in sport. You know, good for fill the column inches, and, and that's, um, I don't think that's unimportant in these days where league and AFL and the other sports are so good at filling column inches in off-season with banal rubbish. Um, and make no mistake, this is banal rubbish. I think this should yeah. not happen. I think it's a it's a silly idea. This is a brain It's a thought part. bubble. It's a brain yeah, part. And yeah, it, and it's good for you know sit around with a beer and chat you know around um, you know what what the game might look like in its ideal form. But with no wallabies there, the whole thing's pointless. And you might as well just play a Super Rugby game between the Waratahs and Reds. Yeah, exactly. Um, because really, how many how many non Queenslanders are playing for Queen like Queensland and how many Queenslanders are playing for the Waratahs. It's not that many. I think the two teams that you ended up with wouldn't be too dissimilar to, to the Super Rugby team. So I don't really know what, what you'd achieve out of it. But, um, yeah, as, as, a, as a bit of a talking point, I, I, you know, it's, we're, we're talking about it now. So I suppose it's, it's succeeded in, in, in that and giving, giving some fodder to the, you know, sports, uh, sports guys. So, yeah, but I don't want it to happen. Mate, it's an absolute no. brain fart. If you didn't have two teams called Queensland and New South Wales already, yep. I mean, you know, maybe you could imagine it. I mean, I just don't know what these guys are thinking. I mean, and, and I think it took about five minutes before, was it Fitzy or someone else, Reg, on Twitter said, well, why don't you do like an Aussie Barbars playing just about anyone? Um, yeah, that, that yeah. would be more interesting. Um, what, what if you did an internal match, you know, probables versus possibles? Um, yep. I, I mean, I could imagine just about anything being more interesting than than this. This is like, it was just the worst brain fight I've heard. Yeah, my I hate it. I think it's ridiculous. And they're already talking about playing it at Ballymore, which kind of seems to take it away. It means the only capacity's got a capacity is 18,000. Safely, I reckon it can only fit maybe eight to 10,000. So if that's what they're aiming for, it's a bit of a half-assed effort. My option, I just set them all back to club rugby. Get them all back playing grassroots rugby. It's not going to get the, the primetime TV uh, discussion that they would hope for but it's going to get them re-engaged with club rugby and, and grassroots rugby which I don't think can be a disservice have your test matches and all that sort of stuff and they're they're going to rely on grassroots rugby punters to buy tickets to those tests next year so give them something back give them their quality players back get a bit of ARU and, and state club um, profile around it and, and getting promoting those games and you know Angus Cottrell playing against Jake McIntyre in State of Origin is not going to draw a crowd. But if you've got Angus Cottrell playing for whoever, Nedlands over in Perth and, and Jake McIntyre playing for Sunnybank uh, here in Brisbane, that might actually do a little bit to engage the rugby family a little bit. And I, that's something that seems to be completely lacking at the moment. So um, that's what I'd love to see in June, particularly because it's in the heart of actual rugby league State of Origin. So they think they've got to compete with um, press lines from that. They're kidding themselves. Madness. Um, all right. Well, 
that's almost going to wrap us up. Matt, I, I was going to ask you if there's any iTunes reviews, but <laughs> the only one I've seen this week, I don't think we want to actually repeat, do we? No. Is that the one that's... I think someone called you a tool, Rich. Oh, uh, I a, that one. A couple more adjectives before that as well, which, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, eats their own and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the trolls are out there at the moment. Um, I've got a whole you know, bunch of others. We managed to cop a few um, after the... Um, after that last England win, always lovely the internet. I, I can never understand the i you know wh- where you are at in life if you need to travel around the internet to other countries' websites, you know, you know, looking to use your time to troll people. But there you go. <laughs> to take to make the effort to to register a new account and then come oh. on here and spend half a night <laughs> doing ridiculous comments. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Internet's a lovely place. Yeah, it is indeed. So. Um, we think, guys, we might try and fit it at least one more show next week, and we see quickly, how we go. Quickly, Reds, quickly, Reds, yeah, time's yeah, expiring. Yeah. Do by yep. sevens. Uh, women uh, got yes, rolled in the ball. final. Um, men, I thought, was, were a laudable performance to finish fifth with a lot of debutantes and a pretty tough draw. Um, had one off game against Wales, but managed to beat New Zealand um, and a few other good teams as well. So um, we looked, looked like it might be a bit of a lean year for us sevens, but there might actually be something uh, to salvage out of it. Yeah, a good point, mate. It was um, I watched a bit of the women's, and again, they're as classy as ever. But went down to New Zealand in the final. Um, New Zealand are a very good team, but uh, yeah, some great shows uh, from that Aussie men's team too. Simon Cannellwell is a name I uh, I like the look of in particular. Um, so we'll see where they head off to next. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we might do try and sneak in at least one more show next week. We might do a bit of a season review, hey guys, and and um, have a look back at the season as a whole, not just the Test but the Super Rugby as well. Yeah. And I think um, we should put a, a, a call out there to um, any listeners. If you can think of a bumper sticker that would sum up the Wallaby season, um, get it to us. So Twitter, uh, email, comment on the post. What's, what would your bumper sticker be to sum up um, Australian rugby's season this season? And um, best, all the, well, probably all the ones we get, if we get any, we'll, we'll read out. Good stuff. Love it. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, we'll catch you next week. Oh.